I'm the only person in the shul who has children in the army. So everybody was, um, they'd been in touch, they're telling me they're thinking of me. And I, I, I think that emotionally they feel a connection because this is our people. We may, might not live there, but this is our people that were hunted down and, and all the terrible things that happened. But I think for some of them, they just can't put themselves in that place. They can't understand. They can't, they can't empathize. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. A week or two ago on the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook, I posted a question about the propriety of Jews living outside of Israel going on fancy vacations while the Israeli population is experiencing a world where there are kidnapped Jews trapped in Gaza, where we continue to mourn the loss of 1,200 victims of October 7th, plus over 200 soldiers who have died in the aftermath, and when almost every family is directly experiencing the anxiety of having family currently fighting in the Israeli army. I suggested that maybe now is a time for Jews outside of Israel to express solidarity in part by avoiding what I called fabulous vacations, or at least to have enough sensitivity not to post about them. In response to that post, Maharat Ruth Belinsky Friedman, who was on this podcast after Pesach to talk about the relationship of diaspora Jews to Israel, suggested that I listen to the voices of Jews who live outside of Israel. As a result of her message, I convened a panel with her, Rabbi Pesach Somer, and Hadassah Sabo Milner, in order for them to express what it has been like to be a Jew living outside of Israel since the terrible attack on Simchat Torah. To say the obvious, the reflections that each of my guests offered are, by definition, anecdotal and partial. They can't describe anyone's feelings but their own. Moreover, they bring only their own life experiences to the table. For that reason, there are many perspectives which are unfortunately and necessarily omitted, including those of people living in Jewish communities, which are not represented here. My main goal, then, was not to offer the definitive expression of diaspora Jewry regarding the situation in Israel, but to start a conversation between people living in Israel and outside of Israel, so that we can all be enriched by and more understanding of each other's perspectives. As Ruth pointed out in the podcast, we often end up talking past each other instead of to each other. I hope that this can be a corrective to that and the start of more productive communications between committed Jews, no matter where they live. We'll begin that conversation in just a moment. First, let me remind you to subscribe to the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and please rate it and write a review. Subscribe to my Substack Orthodox Conundrum Commentary. Most recently, I posted an article entitled The Fall and Rise of Religious Zionism, where I indicated that even though I strongly identify as a religious Zionist, I'm quite unhappy with much of the direction in which religious Zionism has moved, as it seems to me to narrow the broad scope of what religious Zionism should be in favor of a much more short-sighted and sometimes misguided agenda. The link is in the description of this podcast, so get your free subscription today. And whether you agree or disagree, please share it so that we can continue to find new ways of starting important conversations that need to take place. 
And finally, remember that JCH Podcast Productions is the best place for you to go in order to produce your podcast from start to finish. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com so that we can discuss helping you make a high-quality, professional, and popular podcast. Maharat Ruth Friedman is a member of the inaugural class of Yeshivat Maharat, which is the first institution to ordain Orthodox women as spiritual leaders and halachic authorities. She served as Maharat, clergy, at Ohev Shalom Congregation in Washington, D.C. from 2013 until 2023, where she performed all traditional rabbinic functions. Maharat Friedman and her husband Yoni and their three children are spending the year in Nairobi, Kenya, where she is thrilled to be serving as the visiting scholar at Nairobi Hebrew Congregation. Rabbi Pesach Somer is a member of the Judaic Studies faculty at the Ramaz Middle School in Manhattan. He is a veteran educator who has taught for more than 20 years in various schools, including MTA and Yeshiva of Flatbush. Pesach is a graduate of Queens College, where he studied psychology and received smicha from Harav Zalman Nehemia Goldberg. He is involved with Project Makom, an organization for Haredim who are looking to find a more comfortable way of expressing their frumkite, where he speaks and offers guidance. Pesach is also a writer, a blogger, and an accomplished speaker. His versatility allows him to speak on topics as diverse as biblical criticism, Hasidic thought, and its ramifications for modern Jews, and losing and regaining one's faith. He lives with his wife and eight children in Passaic, New Jersey. Hadassah Sabal Milner is a Welsh Jew who lives in Muncie, New York. She is a writer and a blogger and works in the local court system. She's married with four sons who are her life's best achievement. Hadassah's oldest son made Aliyah in August 2013. Her second son joined him in August 2014. And son number three made Aliyah in August 2016. Son number four is a volunteer EMT and an entrepreneur. Hadassah Sabo Milner, Rabbi Pesach Somer, and Marat Ruth Bolinsky Friedman, thank you all for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. I'd like to open up our discussion today asking you each to very briefly, just in a minute or two, describe your varied experiences of finding out what happened on October 7th, your initial emotional response, and your experience during the early weeks of the war. Let's begin with you, Ruth. So I first found out about um, what had happened uh, when we went to shul that Shabbos morning. So my family and I are living in Nairobi for the year and um, have to get used to the fact that we're not in Israel, but we're in the same time zone as Israel. And so we went to shul, um, which means the news had just started coming out. I remember we got there and the rabbi who's Israeli, just his eyes are all red um, from crying and they were doing extra davenings. And then, you know, this, the stories about people being kidnapped in the streets just felt so surreal. Like we, we thought something must have gone, like, you know, gotten lost in communication, which of course it hadn't. Um, and uh, we were just eager for news, went to Shul Sunday morning, got a little bit more. Um, but then of course, Sunday night when Yantiv ended and we checked the news and I spoke to my sister who lives in Yerushalayim, it, it all became clear what had happened. Um, and what I just wanted to emphasize about the experience, I mean, we could talk for hours about what it was like, is I just, I actually, I posted on Facebook that night. All I said was, I've never been so scared in my entire life. Um, and that's what I felt. I felt it viscery, viscerally, that pit in your stomach when you're like genuinely terrified um, of something. And I actually, I remember texting my nanny that Sunday night um, and saying, I just want to let you know that something bad, really bad happened in Israel and I might be out of it this week Um, because I knew that I wasn't actually going to be able to function. And I remember that clearly. I remember thinking, looking at myself and my husband, Yoni, we were just staring at our phones and thinking, I hope our kids don't remember this week because we are being the worst parents. I mean, we just, we couldn't focus on on anything. Um, I remember Yoni didn't make it to the office a single day that week. 
Um, I also have some other good friends who are extremely accomplished professionals and just could not get to the office that week. So it was awful. It was a haze. And it's the kind of haze you learn to live with. Okay, Pesach, how about you? What was your experience? Late on Shmini Atzer, right? And, um, you know, here in the, uh, in the States, you know, like everywhere in Chutzlar, it's, it's two days. So I was about to leave for Shul Mincha, which means, you know, I was basically, gonna, I, I think I was going to be in Shul Mincha. I think I was going to stay maybe. And then Marav, it would have been Simchat Torah, Simchat Torah. And um, right as I was about to leave for Shul for Mincha, my wife says to me, I know you're not supposed to generally share, you know, bad news on Shabbos, but what if it could have a practical effect about people, you know, davening or things like that? And I said, yeah, you know, certainly in that case would be. And um, ends up she had found out in various ways. In our case, you know, people who are not uh, Shomer, Shomer Shabbos um, had told her. She had known the whole day. She didn't want to ruin anyone's, uh, you know, Shabbos slash Yantiv. And so she sort of kept it to herself. I, of course, being an oblivious husband, didn't notice that she was saying uh, to Helen all day. You know, I mean, she likes to say to Helen, but not, you know, not all day. I, of course, didn't notice the difference. Um, but And then she sort of told me. And I remember, you know, it was already, you know, obviously it was very, very shocking. But I think part of what I, you know, in thinking about it, I, I had no idea of the scale. So it felt upsetting but sort of as the details came out you know in other words you know i'm used to over the years terrorist attacks and bad things happen and okay x number of people and it's terrible and you feel sad and you know and then you start to find out you know this was not you know five people this is not 20 people this was you know you know over a thousand people and the things that happened you know so it wasn't i, I didn't find it all out at one time um, but, but, you know, I mean, I, I'd say some of what Ruth said, which it really was just sort of being in this, um, absolute haze. I mean, my, my kids, you know, that night, Simchus Torah, I'm a Levi. My shul always, you know, the first hakaf is Kohanim of the shul held the Torahs. Um, the second one, uh, the Levia, my, I, I led the hakaf and my kids had like watching me. Um, it was like, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a big Simchus Torah guy, but this was just, this is something entirely different. You know, it wasn't just that I wasn't, uh, you know, boisterous. I mean, it, it, I, I, I looked like, and I think I felt like I was in mourning. Okay. And Hadassah, I want to hear about your experience. I'm sure it was somewhat different from Pesach's and Ruth's, if only because you have two children who are in the Israeli right. army. Yes. Yeah, so um, we were away for the last two days of Chag. We had driven down to Potomac, and my husband was at Shul. I don't remember if it was Shmini Atzeret or Simchat Torah, but I wasn't there. And the rabbi had gotten up and he said, I wasn't sure if I should share this with the congregation because it's Yantif, we're supposed to be happy, but how can I not share this terrible news with you? And he told the congregation what happened. And my husband straight away walked out of shul and came to where we were staying so that he could tell me. And I'm sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. Um, immediately, my 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 thoughts went to my kids. I knew that they would be called up from reserve duty. They were 27 and 28. I, I knew that even if they weren't called up, they would volunteer. But my whole entire family lives in Israel as well, so there was the worry for them. And we didn't have any details. And to wait until after Chag to get those details was torture. To sit and make conversation with people that we didn't know and with people who honestly couldn't understand where I was sitting 
was very, very difficult. Driving back, Matsegantif, we were listening to the radio and we started to understand the scope of everything that happened. On that drive, while we were listening to the radio, I was calling all my family in Israel, making sure that everybody was okay. I called my mother first, and then I called my brothers. I called my kids. Of course, two of them didn't answer because they were busy, you know, trying to get one of them was away. He was out of the country on a holiday with his wife, and he had to get a plane back immediately. So I cried hysterically for, I think, about two hours of that car ride. I, I was I was a mess. I was a wreck. And I will say that was the only time that I listened to the radio because it's just too much. You haven't listened since then? No. And I try very hard to censor what I read because it, it just, I, I can't fathom the scope of this. It's impossible to imagine. And, and every time it's like ripping off the Band-Aid. Every time I hear some some other news, my husband, he he's a news junkie. He makes sure I know what I need to know. How often do you speak to your kids who are in the army now on a regular basis since October 7th? So I've spoken to each of them once, but we text. My second son, they take his phone away from him. So, you know, some days he'll be able to call his wife from his commander's phone and she'll let me know that she spoke to him and he's okay. Um, my elder son... He doesn't have time to talk. He's major in Golani. And um, we had one conversation. But we text and I get little heart emojis. I get little I love you, alive and kicking, you know, just something. But it's not enough. And, and even if we were to have a conversation, what can they tell me? Are they both serving in Gaza? One. One of them was. Let's talk a little bit about the experience from your own obviously anecdotal perspectives of Jews in the diaspora and their relationship with Israel based on what's happened over the past almost four months as we record this. Do you think, Hadassah, that what has happened has brought Israelis and diaspora Jews closer, or has it increased the difference? I'll just say in my own experience, coming from the Israeli side, I feel that on an emotional level, and I believe I mentioned this two weeks ago in my conversation with Shana Goldberg, on an emotional level, I feel that people are closer together, but experientially, because of the difference in living, in my case, an hour away from the war and having children who are in the army, experientially, we're living worlds apart. I wonder if you, Hadass, said might be different. Um, you know, it's interesting. We belong to um, a very yeshivish community. And our shul, for example, doesn't do the, um, the prayer for the soldiers. Well, it didn't until this happened. I'm the only person in the shul who has children in the army. So everybody was, um, they've been in touch, they're telling me they're thinking of me. And I, I, I think that emotionally they feel a connection because this is our people. We may, might not live there, but this is our people that were hunted down and, and all the terrible things that happened. But I think for some of them, they just can't put themselves in that place. They can't understand. They can't, they can't empathize. But I do believe that a lot of unaffiliated Jews are coming a little bit closer 
because they feel like, well, Israel is our home. You know, I know I'm sitting here in North America in my you know middle class life and I send money to Israel on a regular basis. But, hey, you know, this war is happening. This is a horrible thing. And um, what can I do? You know. I hear that. How about you, Pesach? What's your feeling from your interactions with students and other people? Has this brought Israelis and diaspora Jews closer or further away? So it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I think a few weeks ago, I think you had a post asking about whether there's been like a certain, I, I forgot what you called it. It wasn't like an emotional overload, but like sort of a certain point where you, you know, wondering whether, you know, diaspora Jews had sort of reached a, a point where there was Something had changed. I don't remember if you remember what the exact phrase was. I just checked. The phrase was compassion fatigue. That's what I said. Compassion fatigue, yes. Right. So I, I posted about that. I mean, I tagged you, as often happens, you know, because we're, we're not, we don't just do podcasts together. We're, you know, good friends. And, um, and, and it's interesting. I, you know, there, there's two kinds of posts on Facebook. There's sort of the posts where you talk about something that people are allowed to talk about and it starts getting, you know, there's a lot of back and forth and comments. Um, but sometimes I, I, I hit a nerve in a way that I talk about something that, you know, kind of you're not allowed to talk about out loud. And then I start getting, you know, voice notes and things like that, that, you know, don't lead to further conversation because it's one-on-one. But um, someone who uh, who I know, I, I think you know him, I'm sure you've at least interacted online, if not yet, yet in person, sort of reached out to me with what was really um, a very, very powerful comparison. Um, you know, this person was talking about um, a tragedy that happened within their family and sort of the different ways that the immediate relatives, you know, the ones who are, you know, literally Avelim and then the other relatives who are not halakhically Avelim, you know, how they respond to the same thing. And he was pointing out that there's pain there in the realization that no matter how much the two different groups feel like they're in it together, they're not. I don't want to reveal too many details because I don't know, you know, I mean, it was a private conversation, but I'm saying but that no matter how much a a cousin, a sibling or whatever feels for someone who's sitting Shiva and they may miss the person, it's not their immediate blood relative. And that over time, they're going to heal more quickly. They're going to be able to go back to some version of what life was was like before more quickly and that's going to hurt the people who are the most immediately close. Um, and, uh, you know, like a lot of things this person says, I was like, you know, it was perfect. In other words, um, you know, I, I have a lot, you know, I, I have a lot invested in Israel. I mean, not as many relatives as, as Hadassah, but I have, uh, you know, I, um, one of my two siblings, my brother lives there. He has four children. Two of them were, were actually engaged at the time. Um, my, my niece, was supposed to get married right after October 7th. She did, although in a very, very different way than she would have otherwise. And then her husband did not even make it through a week of uh, Sheva Brachos before he was, he was uh, you know, sent uh, back to Gaza. Um, she didn't see him for a very long time. And then, um, as you know, I mean, I was in Israel Thanksgiving. My, my nephew got married and he also, you know, he also served. And I'm very connected to Israel. I have a lot of friends there. I have a lot of family there. Um, but, it, but, but I'm not there and it's not my children. And I, you know, I love my nephew and I love my niece 
And, you know, I was writing to my nephew. I was WhatsApping him when he was able to be in touch. And I was I, I, I was terrified. I mean, as I, I said, every morning I would, you know, um, you know, there would be a posting of, you know, if Feldmers had died. And I, my first thing was, oh, my God, what if it's one of them? And I would look and then I'd be like, OK, what if it's someone I know? We recognize the last name. And then the, the horrible sigh of relief, the guilt that you feel of like, phew, it's somebody else's stuff, you know, family and not mine. You know, you feel relieved and, and horribly guilty at the same time. So, you know, all that's there. There's, there's terrible pain. I mean, like Hadassah, I don't think I've been, you know, I mean, social media throws things in your face that you don't want to see. And so there have been, you know, I've tried very hard when people write, you must watch this video. I know it's going to hurt, but you must. Uh, no, I must not. I, I, I cannot. I mean, um, I'm already traumatized and there's a limit as to how traumatized, you know, I, I need to protect myself also. Um, so... It's very real. It's very raw whenever I think about it, whenever I see a post, whenever I hear something. But I'm not there. And 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 just inherently, my life's going to feel different. And, you know, that's the thing. When I, when I see your, you hurting, like, it just seems to me, you know, or other people I know in Israel, it just, I, I don't think there's a way to, to, to close that gap. It's just, it's, it's inherent. Okay, thank you for that, Pesach. Ruth, how about you, especially living in Africa this year? It's obviously a very different environment from people who are living in larger Jewish communities, I would assume. So can you talk about your experience for a couple minutes in that sense? It's, it's, been, it's been so interesting. And Yoni, my husband, and I, we spent a lot of time talking about it. Um, I would say I absolutely feel closer to Israel um, without question. And... Though I, I would differentiate between Israel and Israeli. So Nairobi is a funny place where there are a few American Jews. Um, we are the only Orthodox ones um, because the, the rabbi is Israeli. So we are the only Orthodox American Jews. There are a ton of Chiloni Israelis, right? Um, my kids go to school with a lot of Israelis, occasionally so, show up to shul, the Hanukkah party, etc. And I wouldn't say that I, I feel necessarily closer to them because of that. Um, I, I, we definitely feel that, like, you know, at the show events, there's the Americans and the Israelis. Of course, there's mixing, but just culturally different. I would say that going back to, the, to that Shiva example, I think it's very interesting. I, I, I've been, like, listening to, like, every news podcast about Israel I can get. I mean, I check Times of Israel and Hearts a billion times a day on Facebook, like, I've been listening to survivor testimonies and survivor testimonies and the UN women's hearing. And it's almost like there's a sense of when, you know, when you're here, there is no physical Shiva to go to, right? Um, you're not there. Um, and I can find, I feel myself like trying to find that emotional space from afar. And again, you know, it's hard. It's a weird place to be in. Okay. Now, Ruth, I want to start with you because in fact, I think it was almost in response to a post that I wrote on Facebook that you reached out and suggested that we have this conversation. So first of all, thank you, because I think it was a really good idea, and I'm glad you could join me along with our other guests. I'm going to read something which I wrote on Facebook about a week ago, and I'll just read it straight, and then I'd like to hear how each of you would respond to it. This is what I wrote, and I began with writing, I'm reluctant to write some of these posts because I'm sure I come across as judgmental. But I also know that the following discussion has been taking place privately among many of us in Israel and occasionally is mentioned in public settings. I think it's an important question, so here goes. Many Orthodox Jews outside of Israel are off from school and or work during winter break, which falls, depending on the institution, somewhere between the end of December and the end of January. 
It's a great time for individuals, couples, and families to go on vacation, and for some, this year is no exception. Some of us who live in Israel look at the posts of people going away on their fabulous trips, and by the way, I use that term fabulous trips deliberately, and are simply put mystified. How can you think of going away on a purely fun trip when your brothers and sisters in our mutual homeland are fighting for their lives, and to be blunt, for yours too? If you're going to travel, shouldn't Israel, whose economy is taking a massive hit from the war, be your destination? Shouldn't you use your time off to bear witness or volunteer or at least pour money into the Israeli economy? And if you need to get away and Israel is not part of your plans, isn't it the kind of thing that you should do with tzniut, perhaps a bit more modestly and understated than you otherwise would? And even if you choose to have an elaborate vacation, would it not be appropriate to at least keep it to yourself instead of broadcasting it to anyone who looks at your social media feed? There are clear rejoinders to much of the above. The people experience stress no matter where they live, even more so Jews who think about Israel every hour of every day. Because they love Israel so much, they need to recharge their batteries and de-stress as best they can in order to stay healthy and strong for the challenges ahead. Moreover, toning down a trip does nothing to help Israel or Jews any more than eating everything on your plate helps starving people across the world. Complaining about social media posts likely comes more from resentment than from any objective objection. And if someone's trip is necessary for the above reasons, there is no reason to hide it as if it were shameful. And I concluded, what do you think? And it began an interesting discussion there on the Facebook group associated with this podcast. I'm curious to hear from each of you what your feeling is about that post, how you would respond to it. And Ruth, let's begin with you. So I've been I've been thinking about this ever since you posted it. And I don't have a great answer. Um, obviously, we're living in Nairobi. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience with once-in-a-lifetime vacations planned that were already planned. Um, two weeks after October 7th, we had planned a safari. I've got three little kids, thank God. And, you know, I thought, like, if you're, like, shouldn't I cancel this? This is absurd, right? I mean, like, how could you even think about going? Um, but the truth is, I have three little kids who are off of school that week, and no one would have been helped by staying home. They wouldn't have understood. Um, and uh, ironically, or whatever, when the, the Safari Lodge we ended up staying as owned by an Israeli. So you could say we were supporting that economy indirectly. Um, we also took a big trip to, to Cape Town in December. So that, we were supposed to be in Israel for Hanukkah. It's been my dream to be in Israel for Hanukkah. I never have. Um, our flights were canceled. It was very, very difficult to get to Israel from Nairobi. So we rescheduled Ben Willing to Pesach and decided to go to Cape Town. Now, Cape Town is incredible. I had the most amazing vacation. Do I, I don't know what to do with that fact other than to tell you that, first of all, everywhere you go in a Jewish destination in Cape Town, people are wearing, you know, the necklace. They're very popular there specifically. Um, they're like dog tag necklaces um, that, that with the name, I forget exactly what's on it, but it's about the hostages. And, and you, you still, you feel that sense of community. And I also feel like in some ways that shrimp was emblematic. What to me, it's like to live outside of Israel during this nightmare, walking nightmare of a time which is that and any second I was washing the dishes or doing laundry or my baby was sick. So I was home alone with her for part of it. I had my phone on in those same podcasts going. That's right when um, the UN hearing was happening and the New York Times report um, on all the horrific sexual violence was coming out. You know, and every, I was listening to every single thing about it, carrying that phone with me as I went, you know, outside and did this. And and to me, that's kind of what symbolic of what life has been like. You're, you you go through the same steps because in some cases like work, you can't not, right? You can't just not show up to work indefinitely. And then also in a vacation type situation, 
the alternative is to is to stay home in my case again if i had older kids i think it'd be different right but little kids and, and accomplish what right um but that doesn't mean that it, it you're like setting it aside and compartmentalizing it i still feel like everything about october 7th is constantly with me i'm never not thinking about it but you sort of in some ways don't have a choice all the time Okay. Thank you for explaining that. I'll just say before I go on to hear the next response, when I spoke to my good friend Tali Rosenbaum, with whom I co-host Intimate Judaism, I talked to her about this post. I said, it's interesting. The responses really were from one side to the other. Some people felt that I was absolutely right, and it's so good I said that, and other people felt that I was a judgmental jerk. And she said, well, you can be both. So I thought that was actually maybe the most honest response. Anyway, so I appreciated that. Hadassah, what's your feeling about this? So I'm very conflicted. I think that if people had vacations planned, not going on vacation doesn't help Israel. It doesn't help them at all. So if you have a vacation plan, go. Now, me personally, I wouldn't go on vacation because I would feel tremendously guilty. My kids, though, they tell me that they want me to be happy. They want to know that I'm enjoying life because it helps them do their tafkidim in the army, not having to worry. But posting the elaborateness of your vacation while, you know, there are hostages sitting there and we don't know what's going on is tacky. Very fair. How about you, Pesach? Uh, so I think there's a lot of levels. I mean, first, I, I'd say to come back to the example I gave from before with my friend with Avi Lut to give a different example than he did. Um, so imagine someone, let's say, who lost a parent. Um, and they're in, you know, so they have Yibbez Hodesh, where they can't listen to music. And they've got a cousin for whom that's a, you know, either a cousin or, a, you know, or someone that was their uncle or someone, you know, who's beloved, but they didn't have any, you know. And at the beginning, if you said to them right after, you know, the person passed away, you know, they'd probably say, I know I'm allowed to. I, I couldn't possibly go to a concert now. But at some point... If they had one planned or just, you know, I mean, as much as they love the uncle, at some point during that year, they'd probably go to a concert. And, you know, they would probably try to be sensitive. They wouldn't say to the, you know, immediate relatives, wow, this concert, I wish you could have been there, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, you know. But still, if somehow it got back to them, it would be, a, they would feel emotionally. I, I don't understand how you, I mean, going to a concert, you know, you know, you'd love it. But it's different, you know. So, so there, there's definitely that. that. That's one side. Um, at, at, on the other hand, something I've thought about. Um, it's interesting, Rabbi uh, Josh Lookstein, you know, who uh, who's here at Ramaz. Um, he reminded me. I think it was before October seventh, if I'm not mistaken. But maybe it was. I'm not sure. He reminded me of like a Mamar Chazal that really, really hit me very, very hard about Moshe Rabbeinu. It's actually, you know, last week's parsha, right? You know, when Yoshua was down fit, fit, uh, fighting Amalek. Moshe is up on the mountain. He's holding his hands up, and his hands are up, and Israel are winning. His hands go down; they're losing. So you know, uh, Aaron and Hor are holding his hands up, and he grows tired, and they give him a rock to sit on. So the Gemara in Taina says, "What Moshe Rabbeinu? You can't give him a pillow." And it, it talks about the concept of Imo Anochi Bitzara. Of course, they had pillows, but you know, he's not fighting. But he can't be on it. You can't just go on the way it was. And then, you know, there are other examples we could talk about, um, you know, B'nai Israel and Mitzrayim during the famine, certain things you're not supposed to do in the famine, Noah and his family on the Teva. Um, and, and I personally found that very helpful. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's worth sharing, but, I, you know, I, I took on a small thing that 
makes my life a little bit less enjoyable. And then it, it's not, a, you know, that's, it's so tiny um, that, you know, it's almost laughable, but it's something that repeats itself daily. And then it's just a little reminder that right now, even when I feel okay, I'm not okay. You, you know, there's a sense of emo anochi bitsara. And, and, you know, I even wrote, recently did a post about this, you know, just the idea that, you know, people taking on extra mitzvahs. But I really think that, I think it was a missed opportunity from, you know, as a teacher, I did discuss it with my students. But, you know, I, I think teachers, school rabbis, you know, religious leaders, whatever it is, I think it was a real missed opportunity to bring this idea. It's, it's very well sourced within Chazal of what can you do to have a, a little discomfort a sense of emo anochi bitzar. It's just, you know, it's one of those things because it's not codified in halakha. It's sort of like, yeah, when we talk about it, yeah, it's, it, everyone knows that it exists and we can talk about examples, but it's just, it's one of these weird things that like, there's no sif in the Shulchan Aruch or, the, or you know, Simon that talks about these things. So it just, no one, you know, no one really does it. And I just think that that would have been, um, it was a missed opportunity. I think it just would have, you know, we're, we're never going to, as I said, I don't think the gap is fully bridgeable. I think that there's always going to be, as you said, this sort of like this pain when, 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 you know, when you see people going on vacation, um, I want you to know, I have to be honest with you as a friend. Um, I didn't not go away during my winter break to Aruba because, because of Israel. I, when didn't go away part, largely because of my bank account. Um, no, I mean, I was off anyway myself. I'm just, you know, it's like, but I'm saying, but that's the thing, like, I, 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 I definitely agree. My feeling is, you know, if you're going to go for all sorts of reasons, like Ruth said, I think there are reasons to go, as Dasa said, you know, mental health, previous commitments, family, all sorts of things. Yeah, I, I mean, that's like, okay, this is not the time to, you know, to blast it all over social media. And I say that as a, you know, a person who blasts a lot of my life on social media. I just think that there's a, there's a certain sneeze that 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 I think there or sneeze as some may say that ought to be part of what we're doing even when we're not experiencing it the same way. I want to say that I relate to all of what all three of you said. I want to give a slightly different perspective, and then that's going to lead to a question. Not because I disagree with what you said. I actually agree with what you've all said, but I want to add a different perspective as well. And using the example, Pesach, which you mentioned about sitting shiva, the difference between sitting shiva for a parent versus a cousin of the person who died. And part of my own question is, is that really a good comparison? What I mean is that on some level, regardless of whether a person lives in Israel or whether they live in New York or anywhere else, we're all in this together. We're one people and the emotional distance is different. But in terms of our relationship to what happened, it's all the same. And in some level, I'd almost compare it to this. Like during the nine days when we don't do certain things in order to remember the Beit HaMikdash, that's not because we're feeling so bad. It's more, I think, in order to help us express that solidarity and to make us feel that. Or in a very, very different situation, but I'll say like, chas v'shalom, if a parent loses a child, they only sit shiva and then have shloshim. There's no year of mourning. If a child loses a parent, there's an entire year of mourning for that in addition to the first month. And while there's certainly elements of kibudava aim in that, I also wonder if part of that is because when a parent loses a child, they don't need a year. They are going to be scarred forever. This is something which is part of them and will never change. Whereas a child losing a parent, that's the way the world works. And it's something which they will get used to in a different kind of way because it happens more or less to everybody at some point. The year of mourning in the case of a parent according to this way of looking at it, is not so much to reflect how you're feeling inside so much as it is there to create that feeling should you forget it, to remind you of how you should be feeling. And in other situations, 
where that feeling is more natural, it might be less important to have that full year because it's already there. And that's my comparison. If we all are Avelim, if we all are in mourning for what happened in Israel, and we should on some level, according to this way of thinking, feel the same way. But people who are immediately adjacent to it don't necessarily need that same kind of reminder as people outside of Israel. People going on vacation, it's not so much a matter of in order to express what I'm feeling inside, but in order to engender that sense of solidarity with Israel. And in that sense, I would almost say, if someone living in Israel were to go on vacation, I'd understand it maybe more, and again, I'm expressing this in extreme terms, more than if somebody who were outside of Israel were to go on that same vacation, because it's almost like, well, it's so easy for you, maybe you need to remind yourself more than people who are living it 24-7 and breathing it and eating it and drinking it every single day. I'm using that sort of as an introduction, not to contradict anything you said, but maybe a different perspective. What I'd like to ask based on that is one of the things that I said in this post is that your brothers and sisters in our mutual homeland are fighting for their lives and to be blunt, for yours too. And given what I just said, do you agree with that statement? Because some people took issue with that. They said, no, if Israel weren't there, that would be a terrible tragedy, but it wouldn't really affect my life in terms of the way I live my life on a daily basis. I don't mean emotionally, but Israel isn't actually protecting me. I'm kind of curious what you all think about that sense. Do you feel that Israel's being there is a benefit to you on a physical and emotional level beyond simply feeling solidarity, but actually in terms of your lives? Pesach, let's start with you. I feel like I, I can't really answer that question, you know, because I'm saying, you know, I mean, I, I could be like really pedantic and say like, you know, like Jews who were living in the, you know, outside of the long time of the base of Megdash, you know, physically I would survive, you know, I mean, you know, um, you know, I, I mean, on every other level, every non-pedantic level, it's, I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's part of me in, 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 in every single way. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing I, I, you know, this person also pointed out, you know, the same friend that I mentioned before, that there are there, there there's all these like weird tensions that play out between you know uh, you, you know people who live in Israel and people who don't over how much you know all, all sorts of things you know in other words like I have a position I generally take and a lot of you know some people agree with me and some people tell me I'm totally wrong and I don't want to turn this political um, you know but like I I never publicly talk about you know certainly with war I mean I think it's just like the ultimate arrogance like oh Israel ought to you know oh shut up you know like I, I wouldn't even know which side of the gun is up you know like I just like a little humility but I'm saying but even not with that you know I mean whatever I think of Netanyahu I, I don't talk about it because you know when I when I my family and I moved to Israel my two oldest sons I, we, we lived in Israel my two oldest sons were born there but but when we left um after the you know not long after the birth of my second son I gave up you know, I'm technically a citizen or whatever, but I, I gave up all every, you know, I don't get to vote. I, you know, there's a there's a really good way to influence, you know, Israeli politics called Nefesh Benefesh, you know, and then so that's the thing. So in other words, like I, I very much, you know, yeah, I have emotional feelings. I have opinions on all sorts of things, but I, I you know, that's a, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I try very much to have a certain, you know, a certain humility. Um, and I even, you know, that's the thing. there was a post where I sort of pushed some people's buttons where I, you know, we're just talking about people who don't have skin in the game. No, like, what do you mean I don't have skin in the game? I have a cousin. It, no, it, you know, listen, the bottom line is, is that, you know, if if I, I I feel like it's like looking at somebody else's family, you know, you know, I, you know, they shouldn't do that. That parent, they, it's their family. You know, you may look at it as an outsider, but you're not the one who you don't live in that house. And so, you know, I, 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 I really believe very, very strong. You know, th there is that gap. That gap's going to always be there, that, that experience of things, um, the living there. 
I mean, you and I, the very same thing can be painful to both of us, but it's not going to be felt in the same way. It, it can't be. It, and, and it's not because I don't care. It's not because I don't care about my my, my nephew. I, in that sense, I have skin in the game. But the bottom line is, is that my children, um, are, they are not in Gaza. And it's different. Yes, I, I love my nephew. I love my niece. It's not my own children. It's not, in other words, if, if, if there's a policy in whatever direction that works out badly and people die, um, it, you know, God forbid, it could be people I know, it could be friends, it could be friends, children, oh, God forbid, a billion times over, it's still not going to hit me in that same way. And, and, and in that sense, I, I think there has to be humility. There's, you know, and, and it's, it, it really is, it, it, it is whether or not my friend's example, you know, about the Shiva is, is good, is not, is perfectly lines up. And it really is. It's just it's the crazy dynamics of family that love each other and are attached to each other, but are apart and are living different lives and where things will. You know, I, I just don't think there's I, I think it's almost inherent. Because, and I think because even before October 7th, there were just so many ways where Israelis could say, you know, my friend is in Tinek and Passaic and wherever. Just don't get it. And I think this is just sort of that on many levels of steroids. You know, that's this is just, you know, it's just sort of, sort of hyperinflated that feeling. And I, I, I don't think that there's any way to really just avoid that other than just sort of acknowledging that it's there. Okay, thank you, Pesach. Ruth, how about you? Do you believe that the existence of Israel is a key element of the survival and thriving of a Jewish community outside of Israel? I also feel like Pesach that um, I don't have an answer to that question and then also can talk about why I don't have an answer to that question. Um, I've been going back and forth a lot. I think some of the naked, hideous anti-Semitism that we have seen has, I think, really um, been a humbling experience. Um, I imagine I'm not the only person who feels this way of, oh yeah, that's, that's what the two generations ahead of me who I sometimes, you know, sort of dismissal, but this is what they're talking about. You know, like I, I feel this now more than I did before um, in terms of the necessity of Israel and sort of a certain naivety and thinking that you can ever really be safe somewhere else. At the same time, like I, I want to, you know, when Scott, when I originally brought up the idea of this podcast to you, it was not, it was because I sort of felt like there were a lot of things, conversations I saw on Facebook and elsewhere, that people were talking past each other a little bit. And so I'm aware that this is like, it, extremely sensitive topic. And I say this with like so much love and humility that the fact that I'm not in Israel and I don't want anyone to hear like to not hear that first. But do I feel like they're putting their lives on the line to keep me safe? Not really. Um, I also, I, I want to emphasize, and again, I'm not saying God forbid this is the same thing as having a child in Gaza or being in Gaza or anything like that. But like the facts on the ground have changed for Jews also outside of Israel, right? Visible Jews, I think, are now looking over their shoulders every time they walk out the door uh, in a way that they weren't before October 7th. Um, I can certainly see that in Nairobi, which actually, so far the only comments we've gotten have been um, pro-Israel and like empathy and saying like, I'm so sorry for what is happening to your people, which is very kind. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I have friends in New York City who had like scary things shouted out to them um, I've, you know, my, my kids at school, my child, my son, eight-year-old is the only visible Jew in his school. And there's a Palestinian kid on his bus who apparently has been walking around saying free Palestine and sort of aggressively asking, um, the Jewish slash Israeli kids, like, whose team are you on, you know, Israel or Palestine, et cetera. And so it's, it, it, again, 
I'm not going to pretend like that's any level approximating, you know, a millionth of what Israelis are going through. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel like I am entirely in a bubble that is unaffected by that. Um, these are just like, it, it's more of an existential fear, I guess, in that sense. But I really, I really do wonder when I go out with my visibly Jewish husband and son now, as a family, you know, I mean, I cover my hair, but it's, it's not the same. People don't recognize that the same way. Yeah, I'm a little nervous now in a way, in a way that I wasn't before. Okay, Hadassah, how about you? What's your response to that same question in terms of the survival of a Jewish world outside of Israel because of Israel? What's your feeling? Well, I feel like I want to answer this in a personal way, because for me, it's personal. If Israel wasn't there, I, I, I think that it would break my heart. For me, Israel is the only place where I feel I can be myself, where I feel I can breathe with nothing pulling me down. There's something holy that I feel when I'm there. And I look forward to having that feeling every time that I go. And I know I can't be alone in this. There must be other people who feel that connection to the land, that spiritual oneness that you don't get anywhere else. So if Israel wasn't there, it would be devastating. I mean, what are my boys fighting for? They're fighting to keep Israel. You know, I have a lot of skin in the game. When you talk about skin in the game, I have two sons. I have plenty of nephews. My twin brother is serving. You know, it, it's it's they're doing it so that they can keep Israel for us. And us diaspora Jews who haven't made Aliyah yet, we will. We will. Okay, well, Hadassah, as you mentioned, you certainly do have skin in the game. Let's continue on with what Ruth said before about the experience of anti-Semitism. She mentioned a bit of what happened in Nairobi and how generally it's been largely positive, though not entirely so. Hadassah, how about you? Have you had any personal experience of anti-Semitism? Where I live in Rockland County, they've been very pro-Israel. There's been a lot of demonstrations, lots of Israeli flags flying. At one point, even among the non-Jewish population, or only among the Jewish population. Some of the non-Jewish population too, but there are frequent demonstrations. I work in the courthouse, and just over the road from the courthouse, a few weeks ago, there was a whole bunch of Palestinians who were demonstrating, and they show up with their fake dead babies and and yelling horrible things across the street at us who are waving the Israeli flag. But really, that's the only negative experience. I find that most people who don't really understand what's going on, they want to understand. And and I, I haven't experienced anything bad other than that. How about you, Pesach? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, nothing reminds me more of how much of a bubble I live in. I mean, I have non-Jewish colleagues. Um, but, you know, I mean, in real life, in my, you know, meaning outside of work, there's, there's really, you know, I mean, there's, there's almost never any meaningful interaction that I have with non-Jews. You know, I go to stores. I would, I mean, just I live in in Passaic, which is, you know, very, very Jewish and very, you know, so there haven't been much in terms of, you know, friends and things like that. Um, I have, heard, you know, a couple of kind comments. I was there was a medical procedure. There was a nurse who sort of said it. Um, but one, you know, one thing I've wondered a lot is just sort of I, I have a bunch of non-Jewish Facebook friends. Um, you know, there's one woman who's just about as philosemitic as, as you can get. And I even, you know, posted about her. I mean, I'm, she knows I'm deeply grateful. And a few people have had a post or two. And then, you know, then I start to wonder, like, what does it mean all the people who haven't said anything to me? You know, is this sort of some sort of really egotistic that, you know, 
shouldn't they be thinking about me? No, no, we, we don't even know each other. We just, you know, we happen to both be Red Sox fans or both like Bruce Springsteen. Like, I don't know, we, we, you know, if something happened, would I even, you know, in, in, in Ireland, would I even know whether or not, you know, they care about it? You know, I mean, I'm just saying like, so there's a certain amount of, you know, so in that sense, you know, I, I don't know. I've just thought about that a little bit. Passaic is is not too far away from Patterson, which is uh, which has a very large Muslim uh, population. Um, so I, I, you know, there hasn't been much over here. I mean, at the beginning, the the poster thing, you know, going up and down, and I, you know, for a while, I wondered what it was going to be like if I saw someone. You know, in my mind, I'm very brave, but in my life, I'm uh, you know a big chicken. And you know, then finally, when I did see the one time I did see someone taking down a poster. You know, it was sort of, and I sort of started looking around and, you know, to see, you know, they're wearing a hood. I wanted to see their face. Part of it, I was wanted to, you know, wanted to see, like, is this someone who I have the guts to say something to, or am I afraid that I'm going to get, you know, my face punched in? And by the time I managed to, like, look around, the light had turned green and they walked, you know. So, like, my one moment where I could have either, you know, me, you know, could have been my Mila Shemilai moment or at least saying, hey, what are you doing? Was nothing, you know. And, and, and that thing, I'll just bring in also, you know, I'm, I'm a big chicken in general. I have to be honest, you know, New York City, I, you know, I try to avoid New York City trains long before October 7th. You know, I mean, you know, keep on a big beard and sits us hanging out. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear uh, what team I'm on. Um, and I already felt uneasy, but I'm saying, but, but, but if I'm honest, at the same time, for about a month or two after October 7th, I did wonder, you know, what would happen if I'm wearing my yarmulke out and is anyone going to say anything? And nothing happened. And even with the poster thing, you know, I mean, everyone sort of, you know, more or less moved on. I mean, it's still happening, but it wasn't, you know, it's not that, that intense way. And honestly, that's the thing. I, I, I do feel... You know, I, I feel that the anti-Semitism is very real. I see it in a billion different ways. And but in but in terms of feeling in danger, I think that's that, you know, to connect this to what we we're talking about before, I think that's one of the big differences is that, you know, there's always all sorts of things you can get worked up about and offended by and pained by and upset by. But I don't feel, you know, that's thing, like you as you said, you're an hour away, your kids. I, I, I don't feel more right now anymore that you know a, a danger to me personally than i did before october 7th that that feeling that you know lasted maybe for a month or two but it's gone okay then let's continue on along those same lines and ruth you mentioned that the reason that you suggested this podcast was so that we don't talk past each other so i'd like to ask each of you and ruth will begin with you what should israelis know about the way that jews outside of israel are feeling right now what do you think the message should be to people who are living in Israel about what people like you are feeling. I, I would say that um, I, I just, I, I want, I think going back to, to what I said, but more succinctly, like I want people to know that just because judging from, you know, what you see of me on Facebook, I'm living a life that I don't know anyone outside of Israel who is not constantly haunted by October 7th. Um, that is not, I don't, it's not even like it fades over time. Like, I don't think anything has faded. I think we're just, like I said, we're in a position where you can't stop life. You know, I mean, not that in Israel they stopped life, but I, my sense is in Israel, there's much a stronger sense of community, right? People know that they're in this together. And here you just, you don't have that option. You know, I mean, my husband's coworkers will say like, how are you doing? Right. And he'll talk about, you know, our brother-in-law who was called up and think he's home now. Um, but you know, other than that, right. You're, you're just, you're kind of alone and compartmentalizing it, but that doesn't mean it isn't glaringly strong. Okay. Hadassah, how about you? What do you think Israeli Jews need to hear about American Jews? That we care. 
that it might seem that we're going about our lives as if we don't care, but there are so many of us that are hurting too. Now, you know, we don't feel the hurt in the same way because we don't live in Israel and it's impossible to feel the same way. I know that for me, it's different than for a lot of other Americans because I do have children there, but people around me don't understand. They don't understand the fear that I live with every day, just like all Israeli parents, you know, my soldiers there, you know, you hear the words cleared for publication, your heart drops to your stomach. So if you have skin in the game, it doesn't matter where you live. If, If you have close relatives who are going through this, it doesn't matter where you live. We feel it. We feel it. And we feel it deeply. How about you, Pesach? What's the message that you would like to convey to Jews living in Israel about the experience of Jews living outside of Israel during this war? And just one point before I give you the floor, I want to point out to our listeners that, of course, I realize that the responses that I'm getting right now are obviously limited to the experiences of people living in New York City or the New York area, Muncie, Nairobi. There are plenty of Jews living in plenty of other places whose experiences are not reflected here. I don't mean to discount those at all. I can only ask about your own personal experiences, but that's not to say that these are representative of everybody's. So Pesach, what's your experience? Um, so first of all, I just want to say, I mean, it's, it's connected to what Hadass said before when she talked about, you know, loving Israel and feeling just like it's the only place where, yeah, I mean, it, I, I was so deeply moved by that. I mean, as as you know, I was just, I was there for my nephew's wedding, uh, which was a Thanksgiving weekend. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, you know, I mean, that's, and just being there, um, I, I, I think even more at this time, but yeah, I mean, and, and even essentially my students, you know, I'm here at Ramaz, Upper East Side. Um, I had some students who were there on October seventh. They were, you know, there over uh, uh, over over Sukkot break, and um, but but the kids talk about that also, and it's saying like in a way, and they they have very different lives than I do, but they talk about also, you know, that they feel it's the one place, you know. I mean, that's it. When you're on the Upper East Side, you know, you you're surrounded by a lot of kids who are different from you, and you sort of, you know, do I want to be like them? Do I want to be more Jewish? Do I want to be? But they talk about when they're in Israel, it's the place where they just feel like. Like like Hadassah said, it's it's a, it's a sense of oneness. It's a sense, you know, that's saying Hanukkah in Israel. You know, I feel bad, Ruth. I hope you'll get your trip soon. I mean, it's uh, I haven't had Hanukkah in Israel in a long time, but I just, you know, I'm saying it's like the difference between, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. I was just so genuinely moved by what Hadassah said, and that's the thing. I, I I think that, you know, one of the things I mentioned, you know, in 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 the recent post, I I I think. For sure, for my students, but they're middle schoolers, so I think that that's you know that has nothing to do with you know. On the one hand, I do see it. I do see. I feel like you know, and I've heard other people talk about that the Tehillim and Shul after davening. Some people walk out a little bit. You know, I'm in a rush in a way that they wouldn't have right after October seventh. I feel like whatever like sort of you know better davening was going on. I feel like you know people who talked in Shul before October seventh have you know I mean uh, gone back to talking during you know. But I, but I, you know, but that's but it's not you know it, it it's not that they care less. It's not that they don't think about it. Um, you know, that's, I, I'm very much in agreement with what Ruben Nadasa said. I mean, it's 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 on my mind a billion times a day. You know, I mean, I'll have a really nice class and I'll just feel nice and everything feels good. And then I walk in, I pick up my phone or just you know, anything, just some sort of reminder, an Israeli flag, an Israeli colleague. I mean, that's the thing. Really, I understand the the, the loneliness and the distance and the fact that it's. You know, it it can't, but 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 it doesn't. It, it's not an indication of of a lack of of feeling, a lack of emotion, a lack of love. Uh, it's just 
the as we've been talking about, it's just I think the inherent difference between people who are experiencing it in their backyard and people for whom they're experiencing it in their heart, but not in their physical backyard. And do you feel Pesach that Israelis are too demanding? And obviously, Israelis, there are nine million of us. I don't want to start being reductionist, but at the same time, do you think that Israelis in asking these kinds of questions are being too demanding of our brothers and sisters who are outside of Israel? Um, you know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't judge anyone for it. I mean, I, when my friend was telling me about the Avelis example, you know, when someone sort of lashes out from a place of pain, it's different than when, you know, it, it, it's... I don't. I don't judge anyone for that. I, I. I don't even. You know. I don't. I don't feel upset. I don't feel resentful. People are in pain. Are act from a place of pain. And I think that whatever Israelis are saying, whatever Israelis are feeling, you know. I always tell my. You know. I, I tell my kids. You know, saying that I've learned in in, in life. Um, you know, is that emotions need to be felt. It doesn't mean you have to express them. I mean, you have to think about how you can express them. But I'm saying, but I, Israelis are. You know, it, it, are dealing with insane trauma on a daily basis. So part of the way that that comes out is that they sort sort of look at you know their Jewish brothers and sisters and uh, outside of Israel with a little bit of a you know why aren't you with us enough? I, I I get it I get it I'm not you know in other words I don't feel judged I don't feel harsh I don't feel like I want to hit back I just feel like you know I wish I could give you a hug I wish I you know I mean if I could just you know throw in something personal I mean something that happened with you and I like that really really brought it home. You know, I mean, that's, we're good friends. You know, we've known each other for a very long time. And I had that very short trip. And I was trying, you know, there was a very short, you know, I know I was going to see very few people, but you were on that list and I wanted to see you. And remember you told me and it really was like, wow. You know, you said like, I'm not really leaving Beit Shemesh right now. You know, so if you could see me, you know, I'm not saying I was there on the beginning of the trip. And if I wasn't able to see you then, you're know, like, it's just not going to work out. I'm not really, you know, I'm just around my family. And I was like, wow. I didn't. I didn't really get that until then. Like, I, I mean, I don't. You know, I don't know your daily schedule, but I don't think that you know, pre October seventh. You know, you're not. Uh, you're so attached to Beit Shemesh that you. But 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 that feeling of just like I, I need to be with my family now. I need to be with my children now. I, how can I judge that? You know, how can I be? You know, in other words, like even you know, that's it. Like you're you're such a reasonable person. You know, like I, I don't think I've ever been angry at you about anything. You know, your posts, even like your posts that we were like, my being over the top. I'm like. You don't even know what over the top is. Like you're just you're such a reasonable person. But I'm saying, but like, how can I be mad at that? You know, even if you said, you know, Somer, you're such a fraud. You know, I don't know. Like, I, I, you're you're hurting. I mean, all I want to I want to give you a hug. You know, like if that, and if you need to, like, you know, you know, if you need to call me a couple of names to let out a little steam, you know, I, I'll, I'll take it lovingly. I have no desire to call you any names, and I appreciate that. But I will say that <laughs> things are different here as well, even though we're still living it and breathing it very intensely. I now do leave Beit Shemesh. I now have gone out to Yushalayim, for example, in ways just to go to the Kotel, in ways that I wasn't when you were here at that time. So things do change for us as well. How about you, Hadassah? What's your feeling in terms of that? Do you feel that Israelis are demanding too much and expecting too much of people outside of Israel to feel that pain? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, we're separated by geography, but we're all Jews. We we share the same heart. We share the same religion. So, you know, expecting Jewry outside of Israel to feel, we're obviously not going to feel the same as those in Israel. But, you know, to not feel, for someone to, for a Jew outside of Israel to not feel anything upon hearing about October 7th, about hearing about all the horrible things that have happened, it, you must be sociopath not to feel. 
you know, it's just not normal. So I think it's okay to ask that we feel that way. It's okay to understand that we share the pain. Okay, how about you, Ruth? Um, I don't, I, this has definitely been like, I think a learning curve for, for me over since October 7th. I do not feel that more has been demanded in terms of emotional pain. Um, I would hope, I mean, I've certainly tried to make it clear how horrible it is. Like as an act of like, we see you, we feel you. Where I, where I sort of also see that the, the breakdown happen a little bit is I think personally, and I experienced this, you know, with, with my, a lot of my, my colleagues and, and friends is I think to me where part of the difference is that Israelis are seeing the war as Israelis. And I think American Jews are seeing, of course, Israel's angle, obviously, the major focus. But also, I think some of us also see the American component also. Um, and I, to me, that's where I think uh, some of the talking past each other has has been. Um, and and I, I think that just in terms of like broader global context, et cetera, um, and I think that some, where some of the struggles are is that the Israeli narrative around the war writ large is different than the way that like the American public is seeing it. And I think that some of us American Jews are kind of caught more in between that. And that my, again, my sense from my experience, Israelis are not really able to emotionally engage in that conversation, which I completely understand completely. Um, but I do think it might create, I think that's where some friction might be coming up. Then I want to ask you, Ruth, let's continue along those lines. So what's your feeling about the way that you look at it as a non-Israeli or as an American or somebody living in Nairobi, how has that affected the way that you see it in certain ways? What I've often wondered is, I'm on social media way too much, and in particular on Twitter slash X, the negative messages that the algorithm sends my way, it seems to know that I'm going to freak out if I see anti-Israel messages. And it's very, very difficult, I'm sure, for all of us at times not to internalize it a little bit and to have that voice in the back of your head, well, maybe they're right. I don't believe that, but I have to resist it because there's so many negative messages about Israel coming forward. I'm wondering how you deal with that. And I'll combine that with, you know, you're seeing it differently anyway. It could be you were coming from a very different perspective in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so I will say that multiple times I have said to myself, Ruth, I don't recognize who you are anymore from a political perspective. There are days where, you know, I'm totally on one side and days where maybe I'm on the other side. My husband looked at me like in total confusion the other day with like, what are the words that are coming out of your mouth? Like, who are you? And I think that I would admit a lot of us feel that way. Um, we're like, I feel, look, where I think that, um, and I really don't intend this as a political statement, though I'm sure, I know it will upset some people, but like, for example, on October 9th, when Gallant said, that's it, no fuel, water, or food to Gaza, I was like, oh no, 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 no. because. As someone who lives in America, right? I worked in, I lived in DC for 10 years. I'm going back there, right? Like I see also the, the global component also, right? And I understand what he's saying. You know, a large part of me felt exactly the same way. Let's all be honest how we felt in those days after October 7th, and maybe some still do. Um, there's a difference when you say that out loud as a government's, you know, official representative of Israel. Um, I totally understand why he would say that and who the intended audience was. But like, I think that when you live outside of Israel, especially in the country that's like in the middle of this entire horrific situation, 
I certainly felt more sensitive to what some of the statements hearing from Israel that um, when trying to maybe speak about that, either with Israelis or on a Facebook forum where Israelis thought they just, it was like, who stop, right? Stop. I cannot go there. Um, so I'm really trying to push myself to really understand that perspective also um, and to and to really respect that in a way that initially I was so upset that I think I also lashed out and I'm really realized now that, you know, it's, uh, I need to do some symptom here, but I do think at the same time, yeah, I think American Jews are going to hear that, or at least some American Jews are going to hear it in the context of the global game. And, and it kicks me in the heart and makes me panic um, because I, I can see where that's going to spiral to um, in a way that maybe not others. And um yeah, there's so much more to say, but I will stop myself. Okay, thank you, Ruth. How about you, Hadassah? What's your feeling about that in terms of internalizing those messages? Um, well, I don't know if I can really answer the question because I try very hard to limit my exposure to anything, really. I have my political views. I know what's going on. But who am I to tell someone who's running the country during the war how how to run the country? You know, like we have to have faith in our leaders and I won't get pulled into these discussions either way, because right now we're at war and we have to just, you know, understand that, except that after the war is the time that you decide to get political. And how about you, Pesach? What's your feeling about hearing these negative messages and internalizing them and attempting to resist that internalization? Among the many places, you know, that I've lived, I lived in Vancouver, you know, there's the old joke like that if you don't like the weather in Vancouver, you know, wait five minutes. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere um, to, yeah, some of like the, you know, at, at the beginning, the things I said in the in the first couple of days, um, I'm glad I didn't say them anywhere publicly. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm embarrassed by them or even that I'm not proud of them. I think that based on where I was and where I was coming from, they, they came from a very real pain place of me but it's not the way i generally think about things it's not the way that i you know generally live my life you know ruth a little bit is touching on it and i'm a little bit touching on it, but we're we're sort of we, we've avoided like this really going towards the political direction and sort of like what camp people were in before and things like that i mean i'll, I'll just you know i'll go to one place um one thing that I think was very, very telling is sort of like the difference between the academic Israeli left and the academic American left. You know how so, sort of the second October 7th, the academic Israeli left, whose tuchuses are on the line and whose kids and everything like that, it was like, I mean, literally it was just 180. It was, it was done. Anything they would have said, anything they would have and, and and I've got to admit, and you know, people who know me know that there's a you know particular professor, you know, who I've been going at it with for years with him on over all sorts of things. But like, like really, like there wasn't like even for between October for for the first few weeks, like something. There's no giving you. There's still like the same barbs. There's still the same, and 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 that's where you know I mean like, like there's so much. That's a professor in the United States, right? Yeah. Yeah. As I'm saying, someone in the States, you know, to just be like, nothing has changed for me. I'm going to be, you know, everything that I do, everything I did in October, it's the same exact thing. There's literally the fact that all these dead people, the fact that dead people are terrified, the fact like like nothing, there, there's no Jewish heart in you that at all, you know, like 
even temporarily. And, and and that's where it really, you know, gets me. I mean, I get that, you know, that's, you know, we're going to see things different politically. And, you know, for some people, you know, my friends on the left, I think there was a lot of the sense of, you know, I can't believe they turned on me. And those of us on the right were like, I can, you know, I can't believe you didn't realize that they were, you know, you, you know, that you thought they were on the side in the first place. I, I think there's going to be some, and then I think it's going to be, but, but, you know, again, if I could really pull it back to this between America and Israel, that, that to me was one of the most telling things. I think that there will be a time when the Israeli left will be the Israeli left again in all sorts of ways. I think that, you know, there, there's, you know, there is all sorts of comeuppance coming after the war for all the mistakes that were made in terms of letting this happen. And I think all those things should happen. But I just think that just the, that, that certain strain of the American left that it, it's so, and, and particularly the Jewish American left who are so, it's so much a part of them that like, you know, Zionism is the original sin. And that, 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 that there wasn't even like, oh, you know, there's not somewhere in me where I feel like, Oh, yeah, but it hurts. I'm like, there's something wrong with you. You know, that's the thing. Like, if you're, you know, if, if you know, look, I, people are going to be on the right and people are going to be on the left, and they're going to go back and over time and blah blah blah. But if, if if there wasn't at least some little part of you that that felt something after that, you know, I mean, Sharansky called those people un-Jews, and some people saw that har as as harsh. I, I don't see that as harsh. If if if, if literally at that moment, you know, you know, lo nigal. I, I don't know how else to put it. Okay. We have no time left, but I'm going to ask one final question, which is a loaded question and will probably annoy some people, but I'm going to ask you just to answer in one sentence each of you. After October 7th, do you have any guilt about not being in Israel? Pesach, how about you? So the good news is I've been feeling guilt about not being in Israel for 20-something years, so I was I was doing it before it was cool. I, uh, I, I, it, no more than before. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's it was it was very, very cathartic to be there when I was there. Um, I wish I could be there, you know, but I'm saying but I always wish I could be there. I mean, it just my, my, you know, I, you know, there's a giant part of my brain that, you know, plays like, you know, those used to be those those books, you know, uh, you know, choose your own adventure. You know, what my what would my life have been if I wouldn't have, you know, told my wife that we need to move back 26 years ago. So I, I always feel guilty that I don't live in Israel. I, I, I wish I did. Okay. Ruth, how about you? Um, I don't feel guilty that I don't live in Israel. I feel guilty that I wasn't able to visit. And if I was not nursing a baby, I would have been there. Okay. And Hadassah, let's conclude with you. Um, so with my whole family in Israel and there for generations and me being the only one outside of Israel, I've always felt some sense of tremendous guilt. But now after October 7th, the fact that I'm here and not there makes me feel more guilty. Well, I appreciate all of your honesty and having this conversation, which I think is very important. As Ruth correctly said, we need to talk to each other and not pass each other. And I really appreciate all of you joining me today. I think that I learned a lot, and I'm sure my listeners did as well. Maharat Ruth Belinsky-Friedman, Hadassah Sabo Milner, Rabbi Pesach Somer, thank you again for joining me. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum Podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. 
Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers. And you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffee House Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com. <laughs>